Passionate, driven, enthusiastic, euphoric. This is who we are as entrepreneurs. But how we leverage these incredible attributes to dream and build businesses that scale and grow is what this podcast is all about. Hello, I'm attorneypreneur Josh Brown, and welcome to Franchise Euphoria. Do you wonder what it is actually like to run a franchise or think about what it takes to run multiple franchises? If so, please tune in today. I am thrilled to have Jeff Pearson on the show. Jeff is a former Papa Murphy's franchise owner. He began with one store and expanded to five locations. He has since sold his stores and now is the host of a very popular daily podcast called Mentor Impact, where successful people come on to tell the story about their journey and the impact mentors have had on their lives and their success. Jeff is also a marching band leader, music lover, and founder and owner of Command Performance, an online music lesson company. Hello, Jeff, and welcome to the show. Hi, Josh. Thank you very much, and thank you so much for having me on here. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for, for agreeing to come on. You, you have such an interesting and diverse background. Can you touch upon that and how you got interested in franchising? Sure. Well, I started my life in the human resource side of the world. I was a human resource manager. But to step back even before that, what really got me involved and interested in franchising, I have two uncles who were, one was and one is a part of the McDonald's franchise organization. One, one uncle who grew his, his business to five McDonald's stores before he sold, and then another one who currently has I believe, over 40 stores in the Las Vegas area. And I went to work for one of those uncles when I was a senior in high school and spent a summer out working with him and saw what was happening and what they were doing and was very interested in what they were doing. But at the same time, I knew then I did not want to get in food. I just didn't like living around that grease and, and doing all of that. And so I... I pretty well committed I wasn't going to do to do food. But I watched those two uncles grow from that point. The the uncle that I was working for, that was his first store. And like I say, now he has over forty. He's the largest independent McDonald's franchisee west of the Mississippi. Really? Wow. Yeah. Uh, he's been very successful. So I saw what these two uncles were doing in the franchise business and I saw the differences in the way the two of them ran their businesses and how my one uncle was able to grow the way he did and was very interested in the concept. I understood that as a franchise owner, you owned a business. You were responsible for the way you ran the business, but you operated under the principles and the processes laid down by the franchisor. And so, you know, time went on. I built my career. I got into HR, but I've always had that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, I ran a painting business when I was in high school because I was involved in marching band and I couldn't afford to go out and get a regular job because the time constraints from the marching band were pretty significant. So we ended up painting houses all through high school and well beyond high school. That was my part-time job for the most part. And like I say, I continued in my career. I became the HR manager of a local tech company. Actually, we were a manufacturing company in the tech scene here in the Bay Area, in the Silicon Valley. And 
a Papa Murphy's opened up in a small town that I lived in, which was a little ways outside of the Bay Area. I was commuting into town, and I was fascinated with the concept because here was a concept where they were making fresh pizza and selling it at a great price. It was good pizza, but there were no ovens. Well, that took care of the, the grease part of the issue for me. And I was really fascinated, so I started to research it. And I had been interested in doing some kind of a, a business or a franchise, but this just really jumped out at me. And so you went doing, from one, you went from swearing off food franchises to owning Papa Murphy's, huh? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's interesting so, you touch upon uh, your your two uncles. I'm really kind of curious in what you said there. It's, it's it's interesting to me where you have two family members that are running the same franchise, yet one found tremendous success, and the other, while maybe successful, couldn't find a way to maximize that success. Can you touch upon that a little bit? My take on it, and certainly this was from a distance and you know, from, from anecdotal stories, the one uncle who was not as successful was a little bit more of a rebel, if you will. He would do things his own way, partly because he had a need for it. And understand, this is, you know, I hate for my uncles to, to hear this and say, what are you talking about? But um, he was in the higher country in Colorado, and he would do things like when they came out with their breakfast biscuits, he found that they wouldn't rise because he was at such an altitude. So he added, I want to say, baking soda to the recipe. And when his franchise consultant came in, they said, well, what are you doing? You know, how are you getting such great results when all of the other stores around here aren't? He said, well, I'm adding baking soda, of course. And they said, you can't do that. And then sometime later, they came out with a high-altitude recipe because these biscuits weren't rising. And he would do things like that. He was, he was a very business-savvy person but didn't work as well within the confines of the franchise system. My other uncle... He, he worked within the system, and he worked the system. He made, his, he made his allies within the organization, worked with them, followed the rules, did what they wanted him to do, but at the same time, he was running a good business within that structure. And as a result, he, he was able to make some good business moves. He built up four stores in the area that he was in, then he sold those stores and moved to Las Vegas. And or I think he, he opened five stores, sold those, bought four in Las Vegas, and then began to grow from there and made a lot of really good business moves. But he was working within the franchise system. He was making them happy while making himself happy and successful. I love that story. I mean, that hits on so many important points and so many distinctions between a franchise and a non-franchise business. I mean, on the one hand, you have your uncle that was trying to find a solution to a problem, but the solution he found was outside of the system. And while a lot of people may look at that and say, well, well, good for him, that's fantastic, which it is, it didn't necessarily work well in the McDonald's system because they, I'm sure, have their own concerns. They have their own quality controls. They have their own ways about which they address those things. And yet you compare that to your other uncle who probably came, uh, came along and, and, and saw similar issues, but was able to form that relationship with the franchisor and was able to work more in that system as opposed to trying to come up with a solution on his own. I mean, I think that captures the distinction perfectly. 
it, it really does. And, you know, when you get involved in franchising, that's one of the things that you have to understand. And because I had those two examples in my mind, whether they're exactly correct or not in terms of what truly happened, it was the way I understood it. So it drove me when I entered the franchise system to know that my goal was to run a good business following the processes and procedures that the franchisor was laying down so that I could do all of those what I call political moves to be on their good side so that they would give me the opportunity to grow the way I wanted to. Well, as you look back when you owned just one store, what were the biggest challenges that you faced? For me, I opened in December of 1999, which was right at the very height of the technology bubble. And since I was in Silicon Valley, finding employees was nearly impossible, even high school employees. You know, I was looking for high school employees to run the evening shifts, and I was looking for a good one or two day people to, to do all of the, the basic prep work that needed to be done. So somebody that needs to come in in the morning, make the dough, prep the vegetables, get everything set and ready to go. Finding just that one person was really hard and it was, it was more than I could handle by myself, certainly. And we really struggled to find employees. Um, we worked really hard. We ended up, because of the fact that we didn't have any ovens, we could hire 14 to 15 year olds under California law. Their hours were restricted, and there were a couple of small things that they couldn't do. But for the most part, they were very beneficial to us. They were able to fill out that part of, of, our, of our staff. And what it turned out to be was because we weren't the big name, you know, the in-and-out burgers of the day where all the high school kids wanted to go there and get those jobs because those were more glamorous. When we went to hire the 16- and 17-year-old high school kids for our evening shifts, we were a couple tiers down. But when we went to hire the 15, the 14 and 15 year olds, then we were much more in a position of getting the better staff members. And so we would hire them at usually 15, but even a couple of 14 year olds who ended up staying with us for five, six, seven years. And they were our star employees because we had the cream of the crop when we were hiring those younger kids and we worked to treat them well. Um, on the flip side, we ended up finally getting a husband and wife team doing our back office work, our production work. Uh, they had just arrived in the United States from, from Vietnam. And these were educated people. They were high school teachers back in Vietnam. He was a physics teacher and she was a biology teacher. And here were these people who I had so much respect for. They came in and they worked hard for us. And they worked for us for a year and a half. And during that time, their daughter came to work for us. And she ended up working for us through high school and then through college. So nearly eight years she worked for us. But to see them come in and work as hard as they did, I had so much respect for them. And fortunately, they went on to get great jobs in the technology sector and, and eventually bought a house here in, in Silicon Valley, which is one of the highest housing markets in the area. Uh, it was huge. It was, you know, it's one of those things when you look back at what you've done and the people you've affected, that is one of my greatest memories. Well, you know, one of the things I write about a lot in franchising is that you need to be resourceful. And it sounds like that's a prime example, Jeff, of where you basically took an obstacle, took a situation that was difficult, that was challenging. You know, how do you staff properly? How do you get people who may not necessarily, this is not their dream job, 
how do you get them in there and how do you keep them? And it sounds like you were able to come up with a, a system that worked for you. I'm curious, did Papa Murphy's on the franchisor side of things help you with that or give you some sort of training or insight on to how they, to... They didn't give us any, any formal training. There certainly was some insight and I was very fortunate because my franchise consultant was phenomenal. Uh, you know, to the point I considered her my mentor in the franchise industry because she had been around for a long time. She had been uh, a district manager for Burger King and had worked for a number of Burger King franchisees. And as my consultant, she and I formed a bond and the support she gave me was phenomenal. And she was certainly a part of that process. Now, did you find the success that you were looking for in terms of owning one store? I mean, did it did it match up with your expectations before you got into the franchise? Yes, it did. Um, as I as I mentioned before, oh, I think it was during our conversation before we started the recording with Papa Murphy's. What I found was the larger markets were not as successful as the smaller markets. When you're in a smaller town with Papa Murphy's, you're opportunity for real huge success is great. Uh, one, the rent is much lower, but also your sales tend to be a pretty fair amount higher because you, you can cut through the advertising clutter. But at the same time, I was very happy with my success. My first store was my best store pretty much from the beginning to the end, although the, the, the third store, which ended up, those two ended up being the ones that I kept in the end until I finally sold uh, both of those stores were very successful. But I did have three stores that weren't as successful. And part of it is because of that big market concept. And it's something that Papa Murphy's, I think, is still working to try to figure out. But they worked hard with us. I mean, the things that they did for us from an advertising standpoint were above and beyond what you could expect from any franchisor. Well, that's great to hear. I mean, so what led you to the decision then to go from one store and expand to multiple locations? Well, I think first and foremost, seeing the success of my uncles within the, the McDonald's system, knowing that by having multiple locations, you go from buying yourself a job to building a business and a career that you can manage rather than run day to day. And that was my ultimate goal. I didn't want to be responsible for running one store and being there every night making pizzas. I like the idea of being able to move from one store to another. It's definitely, I mean, anytime you get involved in a business and sometimes even with, well, let me step back. With franchises, sometimes people think they can buy it and then hire people to run it. And that's one of the biggest mistakes you can make. You have to know from the beginning that you're going to be in there doing it day in and day out. But I didn't want to have to be responsible for running the shift every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night. I wanted to be able to drop in, work with my staff, teach them, train them, and hopefully be a mentor to them rather than being another part of the staff. And in order to do that, you kind of need to either build a hugely successful store or a number of successful stores. Well, there's so many great points in what you just said, but I think the the biggest one uh, for me, and I think for probably a lot of the people listening, is that you know buying a franchise doesn't mean you can be an absentee owner. You know, buying, exactly. you know, buying that system, buying the processes, doesn't mean you get to set it up, hire a manager, and come in, you know, at six o'clock each night when you close. The people who do that or try to do that, in most instances, I find struggle. 
they struggle with quality control and they often will fail because they're not there. You have to be there in your business, whether you're a franchise or a non-franchise uh, business. So I'm really glad you touched upon that. I'm curious, as you went from one store to multiple stores, I imagine you experienced some new challenges along the way. Can you touch upon those? Certainly. You know, one of the biggest things is figuring out how you're going to manage those other stores. Um, there, there's a growth pattern that you follow when you first expand to your second store and your third store. You're not necessarily getting the money that you need to be able to hire a full-time professional district manager to run those stores, but you still need to be able to provide that same support to each of the stores. So as you grow new stores, you're trying to be that district manager, but at the same time, you're running a small business. These aren't huge businesses, so each one of them takes a significant amount of your time. And then you come up with staffing issues where you end up filling in a shift. You know, if your daytime person isn't there to make the dough, grate the cheese, and prep the vegetables, you have to go in and do that. Well, if that happens at two stores at the same time, you're kind of sunk. And so those staffing was always one of the biggest challenges that I faced. Um, in addition to the fact that aside from just opening or from from just opening stores, I was building, I built three stores from the ground up. So the first one opened. Within six months, I was working on the second store, and I opened two stores. Um, was it? I think it was two stores within the first year, year and a half, and I was building those from the ground up. So I was dealing with all the construction issues and getting all of the equipment and hiring new staff, training new staff, and it was quite a challenge. Well, and you know, there's uh, for the listeners out there that are looking at food franchises, and it's consistent in in any business. Uh, the employees, the staffing issues are always, usually, I, I don't want to say always, usually the, the, the number one issues. Would it be a stretch to say that you had your two uncles on speed dial to help you um, through some of that? I did not reach out to them as much as I should have, uh, but certainly had some conversations from time to time. Well, you know, this, this show is, is, is created, as you know, to help people looking to get into franchising and so much of the information you shared I think is so valuable and I'm sure that there are people listening that are on the fence right now you know deciding is franchising a good thing uh, for them or not what is one or two things that you didn't know going into franchising that you wish you had known I think one of the things that I didn't know was how advertising works within the franchise system it was something I didn't think about. I didn't, I didn't involve it in my process when I did my due diligence. Fortunately, I, I was fortunate in that Papa Murphy's was pretty good in the way that they work with their franchisees as far as the advertising, the way that we spent our local advertising money. And we had a pretty decent say in the way the national advertising was, was spent. Uh, you know, we, we, I think we put in 1% for national advertising. But at the same time, we had some input in how they did things, and that was very helpful. But understanding how, how much money you're putting in, how is that controlled, what's the history of the, the percentage that you're putting into advertising locally, because locally we decided how much we were going to put in. But you need to know, you're the franchisor is giving you all of these numbers of you know, when they do their, their franchise disclosure statement. They're showing you all of these figures about things. You need to look at those advertising numbers and you need to go out and talk to other franchisees 
in your area about their local franchising co-op, or if that's the way they do it. That's the way we did it at Papa Murphy's. We had a local co-op. We ran it. We decided how we wanted to spend our money. But what kind of advertising is being done? How effective is it? What's the history of that advertising? For us, the big thing was TV. But at the same time, we were right at a point where TV was, was pricing us out of the market. And so we got to a point where we couldn't spend we, – we spent a lot of money on TV, but we weren't able to have the effect that we had had right when I started. And so you really want to understand the marketing of things. It's not just running a business. It's not just hiring a staff. It's how do you market. And you know, from an advertising standpoint today, I would start to look at doing some things like creating a mailing list so that you can reach out directly to your customers you know, gather that stuff in store, get online, use Facebook and Twitter and all of the social media stuff to help grow your business, maintain your business and move it forward. And I think the advertising thing was the biggest thing that I didn't know about it. Did you utilize, I mean, you said, you mentioned local co-ops. So were you going through local geographic based advertising companies or PR companies or individuals to help you with that? Yes. Yes, we had a, a consultant that was helping us to do our media bias because the bulk of our money was going into television and the next of that was newspaper. And this, these days, I can't imagine you would do much newspaper at all. But one of our next television, one of our next biggest advertising mediums was the comic pages. Really? So we could, we could get onto the front of the comic pages, which means that our advertisement would be wrapped around the outside of the newspaper when it was delivered on Sunday morning. And we would have some huge Sundays, and that would carry into the rest of the week. And for a number of years, that was extremely successful for us, but that started to fall away as well. Well, how, how did you track all this? I'm fascinated by the advertising because... A lot of people overlook it, just like you said you did. And it's so important and it's so vital when it you is. first open your store. When you first open it, you need that local presence. The national presence is great, and that does a lot for the branding. But you need the localized presence to really, I think, drive people in um, and, and, and deliver on your message and, and get people to keep coming in. And exactly. So I'm curious how you tracked your success with these in these different mediums. Well, let's step back a little bit. You talk about opening a store and the marketing that you need to do. Uh, we certainly got a lot of good support from Papa Murphy's in creating a marketing plan for when we first opened each of the stores. And it was primarily designed around a little bit of newspaper and a lot of mailers. We did a lot of uh, weekly mailers and, and coupons. Pizza is a heavily couponed business. And so our goal was to get those coupons out to people. So as a result, from a tracking standpoint, we were able to track those coupons. When those coupons came in, they got stapled to the order form. And I would take those every night and I would put them into a spreadsheet so I saw what was working and what wasn't working. That's, that's great. That's great. I mean, you, it's so important to, to obviously be able to track that. I think a lot of people don't do that effectively. And nowadays, obviously, with technology, it's, it's much, much easier uh, exactly to, to track a, a lot of a lot of those um, advertising and advertising dollars. Uh, that yeah, because we didn't have a POS system. Uh, POS systems were being uh, tested and rolled out in some stores and in some markets. Um, I never got to the point that we moved into that. I mean, they were expensive. They were like twenty thousand dollars plus. They were five hundred or a thousand dollars a month. They were really expensive. These days, you can get an iPad 
that will do your POS for you. And usually these days, the franchisors will require you to use their POS system. So you need to understand what are the costs associated with that because usually POS systems have a cost of anywhere from $100 to $500 a month just to pay for that system. But at the same time, that system is so critical and valuable for you to be able to understand what's happening in your business at any given point in time. Well, I mean, it, yeah, that's that's absolutely true. I mean, it sounds to me overall like you, you really enjoyed uh, your franchise experience. I'm curious, were you happy ultimately you made the decision to become a franchisee? Yes, I was. I really enjoyed it. And there were a lot of things that, that helped with that. I mean, as I mentioned before, my franchise consultant, who was just amazing at what she did, she understood me. She understood what I wanted to do. She understood I wanted to grow and, and grow relatively quickly. And the partnership we had, the trust and support that we had with each other made a huge difference. But I went into it understanding what the work would be. And a lot of the work as a business owner is HR type of work and in so many ways it was very similar to my work as a human resource manager. I was dealing with the staffing issues and the training issues and ongoing employee issues and that was pretty much the same except I wasn't spending all of my time sitting at a desk. I spent a fair amount of my time in the back prepping and in the front making pizzas and then at the same time trying to handle all of these employee things that were coming up. But I enjoyed it. I I got to incorporate the things that I had done as a, as a human resource manager that I really loved, but at the same time, I was in control of my own destiny. No, I think that's a great point. And, you know, it's so important that when people go and when they're thinking about making the decision of buying a franchise, buying any business, that they take a look back at what their experiences are in the past and they find ways to see or find ways to determine, okay, is it aligned with what I'm trying to do? You know, it's not, I don't think it's something where you necessarily have to have worked in that business, no. you know, but you have to have the skills that transfer over to that business. And it sounds to yeah. me like that's one of the main reasons why you found such great success. I agree. And one of the things also is if you have areas where your strengths are not apparent, Find other people that can help you. This is where I go back to my whole mentorship thing. You asked me if I reached out to my uncles a lot. I didn't as much nearly as I should have. And other people in the industry, um, although I did establish relationships very early on with the other franchisees in the area, and I relied on them a lot. And I was fortunate because I had like the second franchisee in the system was in my area, and I was able to talk to him as well as some other very successful franchisees. But you reach out to the people who can help you in the areas that you don't have the strength. And that can be huge because you can't know it all. You're not going to know it all. And as long as you have a franchisor who provides you with a franchise consultant who gives you good information that you can have a good relationship with, work with them. Reach out to people that can, that can help you in your areas of weakness. And don't be afraid to do those things to build your business. Make sure you have a clear idea of where you want to go. Don't rush too fast. I did make a little bit of mistake rushing a little bit too fast in growing new stores, expanding the new stores. We didn't really talk about it, but I opened three stores, as I mentioned, that I built from the ground up, and then I bought two additional stores. And you know, I didn't, I thought I could make those stores better than they were when I bought them. 
And in hindsight, if there's anything I would not have done, I would not have bought those two existing stores. That The numbers were basically at a break-even point when I bought them. And through the time that I owned them, they were you know, at break-even or, or less. I was never able to push those over the edge and make those as successful as my other two stores. And then the third store, which I had built from the ground up, it ended up not working that well. So I ended up closing two stores and sold one store with the intent of keeping the final two stores, which were my good stores. They were doing great. And in the end, um, so I opened my first store in 99. And by about 2007, 2008, I guess, um, I was at a point where I was just going to take those two stores, make them great and stick with them. And then the economy went south. And with that went my sales. And the sales for those two stores ended up being way below what they had been when I first opened them. They had opened great and had been great for a very long time. They had supported all of this growth. And then all of a sudden, I was at a point where they were not doing so well. And my leases were coming up. You know, you're talking about a five-year lease with a five-year renewal. And when it was time to start to think about what I was going to do with the lease for the first store, I really started to think I, wasn't, I didn't have the energy or the passion to re-sign that lease and try to rebuild the stores. I also couldn't wrap my mind around what I was going to do to get the sales back to where they were. I kind of was in that, that mindset that the only thing that's going to make this come around is time. When the economy comes around, then sales will come around. That may or may not have been true, but it was what was in my mind. And so it was time to look at selling rather than re-sign the lease and see what I could do and get myself tied up in the lease. Because when you sign a lease, you're on the hook for those five years. Even if you sell the store, if that person you sell the store to doesn't succeed, they're going to come back to you to pay the money for that lease until they get that space leased out again. And I didn't want to put myself on the hook for two leases that I might not be able to, to pay for because that was significant money every month. Well, yeah, it seems like you made a wide decision. And I mean, your, your, your honesty and your, in your stories right there, you know, just highlights the volatility of, of, of any small business, really. Um, mm -hmm. But especially when you're dealing with, uh, you know, a food franchise business. And I think, um, I think a lot of people have to understand that going in. There, there are a number of things to consider and obviously something that's, that's not to be taken, taken lightly. And, Absolutely. Yeah, Jeff, I really appreciate your time today. I feel like we could talk for another half an hour, uh, but we're, we won't do that. Uh, we, both have to, <laughs> we both have to get going. But I, I do want to give you an opportunity to talk about your incredible podcast, uh, Mentor you. Impact, and anything else you'd like to share with my audience. And then, of course, we can finish off with you letting them know where, where you can be reached. Sounds good. Well, Mentor Impact is a podcast where I interview successful people talk to them about their journey, how they got to where they are, how they reached the success that they have reached. And then I talk about the impact that mentors have had on them and their success. And I've had some really interesting interviews with business owners, with adventurers. I, I interviewed a lady named Roz Savage who has rowed a rowboat across the Atlantic, Pacific, and Indian Oceans, as well as some amazing uh, entrepreneurs. I try to get the wide gamut of guests and it's been a lot of fun so far and I'm looking forward to it continuing. And then in addition to that I have Command Performance which is my online music education company. We provide private one-on-one -on -one music lessons to people all over the US and hopefully soon all over the world. 
using a comprehensive approach where every student has a coach, a tutor, and a mentor. And we do all of this at about the same price that normal one-on-one -on -one private music lessons would be. And so we're, be able, we're able to provide a very high-quality education to music students in every instrument, uh, brass, woodwind, strings, percussion, guitar, uh, piano. And we're really excited about how that is going. Well, that sounds so exciting. I am a music lover myself, so I'm definitely going to, to check that out. And again, you know, thank you so much for your time. Is there a, I don't know if you want to give an email, Twitter feed, sure. anything like that, a, a place for people who are interested in, in communicating with you a little bit more, where they can reach you? Sure. And anybody that wants to reach out to me and talk to me about franchising, if they have thoughts about getting into franchising and they want to reach out to someone who has been there and done that, I would love to talk to them. They can send me an email at jeff at thementorimpact.com and we can arrange to talk on the phone. I would love to do that with anyone. Um, my podcast web website is mentorimpact.com and Command Performance is at commandperformance.me. And I can also be found on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash mentorimpact and Twitter at mentorimpact. All right. Well, thank you again. And I certainly look forward to staying in touch, Jeff. Great. Thank you very much, Josh. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for being with us today on the Franchise Euphoria podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to go to iTunes and provide a review. Also, please remember that although Josh Brown is a licensed and practicing attorney, nothing contained in this podcast should be construed as legal advice, because it is not. The information contained in this podcast is general and educational in nature, and none of it should be relied upon as legal advice. That being said, if you have questions for Josh and would like to contact him, please email him at josh at franchiseuphoria.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you tune in to our next weekly episode. <laughs>